I'm going to be reading some excerpts. So we're going to start in Judges 10, verse 6. We're going to do 6 to 14. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel, who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppress you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. Jumping to chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now? When you are in distress. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And let's see, verse 9. Okay, so then we're going to 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mitzpah of Gilead. And from Mitzpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering." So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. Verses 34 to 35. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mitzpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. 
Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And then, jumping to 12, verse 1. The men of Ephraim were called to arms, and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. And ending with verses 6 to 7. When he said no, they said to him, Then say Shibboleth, and he said Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Gilead. May God add his blessing to his word. Welcome, hearty New Englanders. So we are going through the book of Judges, talking about how we coexist in an idolatrous culture. And there's all these reoccurring themes that we've been talking about. So we have been talking a lot about how people really haven't changed all that much in 3,500 years since the book of Judges was written or occurred. We struggle with many of the same things that people have since the beginning. We see God using all sorts of leaders, leaders that are good, leaders that are bad, people who are faithful and people who are not. And yet God is able to make all these very different people part of his plan to rescue his people. We've seen God continue in faithfulness even when his people are not faithful. We've seen God giving his people what they need in order to be drawn back to faithfulness with him. We see this cycle of sin and oppression that ultimately leads to repentance and then deliverance and peace but only to end up back in sin and oppression. And lastly, we see this recurring theme of Israel needing a true Savior who can end this cycle. So we're going to jump right into it, but let me start by praying. God, thank you that we can be here today. I pray, Lord, that you would empower me to give your message to these people today. God, may you open all of our hearts and minds so that we can see and feel and understand what you want for our lives. In your name I would pray. Amen. So three primary things that I'm going to be talking about today. It's never two with me, and it's very rarely four. So three things. One, God sees our action God sees through our actions and right into our hearts. God sees through our actions and right into our hearts. Number two, it's never too late to stop until it's too late. It's never too late to stop until it's too late. And lastly, without God, there's no real rest. Without God, there's no real rest. So first, God sees through our actions and into our hearts. So as Lori read this morning, the verses started the way that all of our scripture readings start. Israel was good 
And then they abandoned God for the gods of the Moabites and the Amorites and the Philistines and all these others. And what happened to them? They end up getting crushed by their neighbors. They end up enslaved. They end up at war. They end up destroyed. And this story continues on the way that all the other stories go. They get to this place where life just stinks because God is not protecting them any longer because they're not doing what he says and they're, they're enslaved and they come back to God and they say, all right, God, we're where we've been last time and now we want to repent. Now we want you to come and save us. And this time, God gives a different answer. God says, you know what? I saved you, and he lists off a whole bunch of people that he saved him from, going back hundreds of years all the way to the Egyptians when God led them out of Egypt. He says, I'm done. You wanted these gods, and now you have them. You've been worshiping these idols. Go to them. Go to them. And they're Israelites. They treat God like a vending machine. They say, okay, God, we hear you. So now let me take out all of our idols. I'm going to put them in the vending machine slot, and then I'm going to pick D4 freedom. Ta-da! And God's silent because the repentance isn't real. And one of the ways that we know it's not real is when God doesn't perform this trick for them, when all the coins they put in the coin slot don't pull out the thing that they're looking for, they immediately do what? Well, if God won't help us, let's go to the next best thing. So enter this character, Jephthah. Enter this character, Jephthah. So when I, when I spoke uh, two months ago or so, one of the things that I said, when we judge our own spiritual health, one of the ways that we can judge it is we can ask ourselves the question, when do we pray? Do we pray to God only when things are bad? What does most of our prayer life look like? Well, if we pray to God only when things are bad, that is probably a sign that your spiritual health needs some work. Because God doesn't want to be a vending machine for us. God doesn't only want a relationship with us when things are bad. God wants a real relationship with us. So for all you parents out there, how many times do your kids come to you and they're like, you know, they do this like jig, and then they're like, I clean my room, and can I have some money? Or, Dad, I didn't fight today. Can I have a little bit more technology time? Or, Dad, look what I got. I, oh, I just fill in the blank. And I know I see a lot of parents' heads shaking up and down back there. Because we can see, we know our children who we love so much. We know when you're looking for something. We know when it's fake. We know. We know. That's not what God wants from us. And it's just like with my children. I don't want them to not fight so that they can ask me for extra dessert. I don't want them to not fight 
for any other reason, then fighting isn't how Christ wants us to live with each other. So the same action can look the same. God sees right through those actions and into our hearts. For Israel, they chose to follow their local culture over God's demands. They chose to ignore God and to worship all of these other gods who told them to do crazy things. One of the things that Greg described when he, when he opened this series was how they would sacrifice their children in this horrific way in order to curry the favor of the gods of the Moabites and others. And ironically, the very culture that they left God for became the source of their greatest oppression. The very culture that they left God for became the source of their greatest oppression. You see, deep longing for things other than God can often keep us from those very things. So, as somebody who's very interested in history, I recently read an article about Richard Nixon. And one of the things that it said was that people often forget the day before Nixon authorized the break-in of his political rival, he was polling about 20 points ahead of his presidential opponent. 20 points ahead. That's like a crushing margin of victory. I don't think we've had a president in the last 30 years win by more than three, four, five percentage points at the most. Imagine winning by 20%, but his desire to hold on to that power was so great that ironically it kept him from holding on to that power. It's easy to say, you know, what the Israelites did was ridiculous and, and we know God better. We're so much smarter now here in the 21st century. But I think, honestly, that's just historical snobbery. We're really not all that different. I hear fairly often about people's desire to be loved so badly that they choose the wrong person. My wife and I were on vacation at one point, and we saw somebody who clearly had a lot of augmentations of various sorts done to them. And my guess is that this person was very beautiful at one time. But this desire to keep that beauty actually took it all away. There are so many things that we want so badly we, we destroy ourselves with them. A deep longing for anything other than God is ultimately going to keep us not only from God, but usually those things as well. So it's never too late to stop until it's too late. The until it's too late part didn't make my second edition of this sermon. And then I put it back in because... For Jephthah's daughter, there actually was a too late. It was too late for her at one point. So, so 
let's just put a pin in that. I jumped ahead real quick. So I have a, uh, an acquaintance by the name of Jay Barnes. He's the president of Bethel College. And I was listening to a talk that he was given. And one of the things that he said, I liked it so much about, uh, it was probably 15 years ago, I pulled out my iPhone 2, so it's made all of those updates since then. I still have it. And I often write this on the glass wall in my office. It says, daily decisions determine direction and destiny. Destiny is an awesome word. It's powerful in itself. Daily decisions determine direction and destiny. So the question I have for us all, church, is do we really know God? Do we really know God's character and who he is? For the Israelites, their daily decisions to follow other gods turned into weekly decisions, turned into monthly and yearly and decade-long life choices. And so this man, Jephthah, clearly does not know God, chooses to not know God. And if he had known God, he would have known two things that were really important. The first is the vow that he offered. Right? So what he said was, God, if you give me victory, whatever person comes out of my house first, we will offer to God as a living sacrifice. If he had known God, he would have known that that is not the God, that is not the gift that God wants. But because he doesn't know God, he actually treats his God like what he knew of the Moabite gods. That gift would have been entirely acceptable. If you were worshiping the Astras, if you were worshiping the Baals, but because he doesn't know his God, he goes and he makes that choice. And then, sadly, his daughter, his only child, and the only child he ever had, he never, the Bible doesn't record another child after this, comes running out of the house to congratulate her father. And if he had known God, he would have known right away that all he would have needed to do to undo this vow was to bring a sin offering to the high priest. Done. Vow averted. So he made a vow that was not in line with God's character, and then he kept a vow that he could have undone in the way that Leviticus chapter 5 told him to. So about a year ago, I spoke on Leviticus. Do you guys remember this? I described it as the book that kills the one-year Bible reading plan. Listen, there's some real stuff in there. If you guys make a vow, like you can undo these things. I say that sort of as a joke. One, you shouldn't be making vows. Two, don't bring goats here to church because I'm not going to help you out with it. So it's too late for Jephthah's daughter, primarily because Jephthah doesn't know who God is. So the good news for us is that it's not too late. Wherever we are, wherever you are in your life right now, it is not too late to change what you do or who you are. Daily decisions, as I said, become weekly decisions, monthly decisions, yearly decisions. They turn into life decisions. So before whatever decision that you're making today happens again, project out what life looks like 
if you make that daily decision every day for the rest of your life. So you might be thinking something like, you know, I'm dating somebody whose spiritual life is not in line with mine, but I'm not going to marry this person. Well, if you choose today to date them and you choose tomorrow to date them, and then next week and next month, you may find yourself in the place where you're deeply in love with somebody who doesn't share the convictions that you have. And now you're torn apart. You're torn. Do I follow what my heart and my emotions, do I follow the love that I've built for this person? Or do I do what God has commanded me to do? Those daily decisions add up into life decisions. I'll often say to my children, when it's time to clean their room, how do you clean your room? One toy at a time. The same, I use this at work all the time. When work just seems overwhelming, I say to people, how do you eat an elephant? One forkful at a time. It's not going to be easy, and it might not taste good, but you still do it one forkful at a time. Another man that, that I know by the name of Charles Geezer told me a story about some marriage counseling that he was doing. This couple uh, was not doing well. They showed up in his office. The man had had an affair, and uh, he's sitting in the chair, and his wife is right next to him, and he says, I've asked for forgiveness a hundred times, and she says that she has, but she's still angry with me. How can I fix my marriage right now? Charles looked at him and he said, that's easy. Come back tomorrow, having lost 30 pounds. And he says, what? That's impossible. He said, I know. You gain weight one meal at a time. You can only take it off one day at a time. Things take time. Make daily decisions that are in line with your life goals. For us here, it is not too late to change those daily decisions. Number three, without God, there is no real rest. So as we read through the book of Judges, the book typically closes out Judges by saying something like this. So this is what it says about Othniel. Othniel reigned for X amount of years, and the land had peace for 40 years. For Ehud, the land had peace for 80 years. For Deborah, the land had peace for 40 years. The same for Gideon. But when it comes to Jephthah, it says, Jephthah judged Israel for six years. Six years. No mention of peace and no long reign. Israel took a shortcut. When they put all those idols in the God vending machine and they pulled on D4 and peace didn't come out the bottom, they took a shortcut and they went and got Jephthah and said, we know that you didn't think, we know that we didn't think that you were good enough for us before, but now we really need you, which ironically is more or less what they said to God, right? They went to God and said, yeah, we know that we've been worshiping these other gods, but now we need you. They said the same thing to Jephthah. They took that shortcut. And they got what they wanted. So 
Jephthah did, God, continuing in his faithfulness to the Israelites, did empower Jephthah to destroy these 20 towns. He brought some measure of relief to to the Israelites. But then we hear shortly after uh, that those from Ephraim came in and they're like, hey, man, what's going on? How come you didn't invite us? Now, coincidentally, the same story took place just a few chapters before. After Gideon won his war, the Ephraimites came in and they were like, hey, man, how come you didn't call us? Right? Now, we might surmise that what they really wanted was a share of the treasure. But for whatever reason, the Ephraimites were right there in both of these stories after. Now, Gideon, right, this man who, who knows God, a man who's at least in most parts of his life, very devoted to God, goes to the Ephraimites. He's like, look, I'm sorry. And he makes peace with them. But when the same thing happens, Jephthah's like, well, the heck with you guys. I'm going to get my army together. And what do we read? He kills 42,000 of his own Hebrew brothers. The peace that the Israelites wanted so bad was fake because they went about it in a way that wasn't pleasing to God. You know, when we do things that are wrong, I think the temptation is to make up for it by doing other things that are wrong. I won't mention any names, but when I say to my boys, hey, did you just hit your brother? And I can tell that he clearly hit his brother. He says, uh, nope. He hit himself. Now, you might think that somebody would know better than to say something like that, but evidently they need the lesson of some sort of consequence. And we can laugh and joke because it is funny, but how often do we do something wrong? Like, don't put in the time to study, and so we end up cheating. or in an effort not to get caught for something that we legitimately did that was wrong, we lie to get our way out of it. The temptation is always to cover up something wrong with something else that is wrong, because it seems like a good shortcut. It's not tempting because, it's not, because it doesn't seem good. It's tempting because it does seem good. But these temptations aren't real. They will not bring about the real peace that we are looking for. I believe that a life without God is never truly at rest. Even if everything else in your life goes perfectly, which it won't, but even if it does, without God, the end is still death and separation from everything and everyone that we love. Now, let me be clear that life with God still has things go wrong. When I hit my thumb with a hammer, it hurts the same way as for somebody who doesn't trust God. That's just the world that we live in. But when you trust in God and you know that his ultimate desire is to be reunited with us through eternity, The outlook on what we do and how we do it is so different. Let me close with this. 
What Israel needed was a true king. Israel thought that they wanted a king that would point them towards God. So they had these judges, and when the judges were ruling over them, for the most part, their life was filled with peace. We read about all these judges. They put them on the right track. Life is peaceful. And when the judges stop judging, life falls apart for them. And the Israelites wrongly think that the problem is because the judges go away. So the Israelites, at the end of this book, in the beginning of the next, they say, we need a king. We need this line of succession so we always have somebody judging over us. If we just have that, we will be okay. God says, no, the problem is not that. The problem is in your heart. The problem is not that you don't have someone telling you what to do all the time. The problem is that you want to do the wrong thing all the time. And ironically, the Israelites get the same thing with kings that they got with judges. And it starts with Saul, who's, you know, he has some good days, but he has a lot of bad days. And it goes on with King David after that, who has a lot of good days, but the Israelites still suffered a lot as a result of his choices. And then starting with Solomon, it pretty much heads straight downhill with some odds and ends who are good leaders here and there. But what Israel really needed was a true king. And that true king was ultimately found not only for the people of Israel, but for us in Jesus Christ. Although Jesus doesn't necessarily keep us from doing everything right all the time, Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross means that to God it looks like we're doing everything right all the time. When Jesus is our king, it's something we can build our life around. Let's pray. God, thank you for these examples that we can use to mold and shape our lives into a way and in a way that is pleasing to you. God, may we live lives that are worthy of you. May we live lives that represent you to others well here on earth. Thank you, God, for this place, for your word to us. God, may we love you and honor you. In your name I would pray. Amen.